Welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. We're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. Happy summer. I told first service something that I probably shouldn't have said, so I'll tell you anyway. I think we're at halfway point of summer. Just crashed and burned, didn't it? Just went from, we just were right here. I had one job. We just, I just went from right here to right here. If, you, if this is your first time here or it's first time in a long time, we want to welcome you and say thanks or welcome back. Thanks for coming back. And if you need a Bible, my friends have Bibles. They're going to give to you. It's yours to keep. You can keep them, use them, leave them in the seat, take them, give them to somebody. We love Scripture here, and we want to push the envelope on Scripture. We want people to, to read and understand Scripture. Um, I, while they're doing that, I want to tell you this story, a story, a little quick story about one of the most influential people in my life. And that is my grandfather. He, my sisters and I affectionately called him Pop. Hey, look at that. That guy's, that, that is a stud right there, man. I'm just letting you know. I smile just like that. Most of you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't smile. <laughs> Working on it. Anyway, I think that was circa 1949, 1950, either in Chattanooga, Tennessee or Baltimore, Maryland. I don't know where, but nonetheless. But he used to tell me little sharp things, little smart things, and my grandmother would do the same. And my grandmother used to say, she would say, because I would stay out late at night with nefarious creatures doing nefarious things. And she, she met me at the door one night, and she said, son, it was late. I came in, and I thought I was, I was going to sneak in, and I locked the door and turned around, and she was right there. <laughs> and she said, boy, you lay with dogs, you're going to get their fleas. <laughs> Some of you got that. Some of you didn't. My, 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 my grandfather would tell me, he said, son, you're going to find what you look for. Whatever you look for, you're going to find. And another thing he said, he said, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. He went on to say, you could even take a horse that doesn't want to drink to the middle of the stream, and they still may not drink. You know why horses don't drink water? Because it's a new place sometimes and it's fresh water. It smells different. So in their mind, it's going to taste different. It's still good water, but they're afraid to try it. So we want you to read the Bible with us. We want you to join us. The staff and I want you to join us out in the middle of the stream. The water's fine. Come on, jump in. And if you do, go to, go to the website, and on that, there's a summer reading plan. There's four or five options on there. And you can go on there and join with us as we read Scripture together. But here's the warning about Scripture. Once you start reading Scripture, if you are not an avid reader of Scripture, there's three things that will happen. First thing is this. You'll begin to see God different. Number two, you'll begin to see yourself different. And number three, you'll see the world different. And with all that, you become more accountable for who you are, what you see, and how you live. 
That was good. I should have wrote that down. I did not. So, so we're in the we're in the summer the summer on the summer on the on the mounts. It's a sermon on the mount. It's what we're talking about. And the sermon on the mount has five sections. One of those sections is the beatitudes. That's what we're going to talk today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we find ourselves in your house again, where things die and other things come to life. Where, where sin is taken away and new life is given in its place and where the, where the called understand they're chosen. And God, you give pace and place to the chosen. We thank you for calling us out of darkness and we thank you that we find ourselves in a comfortable place in your house. So Lord, speak to us today in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know what a manifesto is? If you were born in the 60s, you, you probably know. Now, here's the interesting thing about our church. There's not a lot of gray hair around here. There's just, just not, I think that's a good thing. However, there, are, there is some gray hair around here, but it's hidden by color in a bottle. <laughs> Guys too. But I want to talk to you about Jesus, what he did on the Sermon on the Mount. What he, what he started. I want, to, I want to look at some words that he used because words create culture. Words turn into narratives and narratives change the way people talk, they change the way people live, and they change the way that the whole world does business. Jesus, when he started the sermon on the mount with the Beatitudes, he, he, he noted the promise. He noted a position to get the promise, and then he identified the provisions that came with the promise. The kingdom of God is what he was talking about. Now, now I'm a believer in this, that, that, the, that the Sermon on the Mount was, was dead center. I believe it's the, the center point of the, of the Bible universe. I think the Old Testament talked about all about Jesus and here he is on the scene and the Sermon on the Mount. And then the rest of the New Testament is commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. There are words that are used consistently throughout the scripture. And as you study scripture, you'll find those words out. But there's also another element to what happened on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and it's an eschatological reality. Eschatology is the study of end things or, or the things that happen right before the end comes. But eschatology is also the study of the things that are leading up to the things that happen at the end. The Sermon on the Mount was an eschatological event. It was an element. It was Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is here. And the kingdom of God that the prophets talked about is here, and I am the God. You ever follow the, the terminology of the kids today? They walk around, you're not the guy. You ever heard anybody say that? You ever heard it? Jesus was the guy. And I want to give you a little, a, little, a little hint, a little hack when you study scripture. If you remember that Jesus is the middle 
he is, he is what the scripture's about, then you will understand scripture. Now listen, people who tell me that they can't understand scripture so they don't read it, let, let me tell you what's happening. A, a similar lie to what the, the enemy told Eve in the garden, did God really say? When you say, or I say, that we, I don't read scripture because I don't understand it, we are believing that same lie. We are believing that we don't have the capacity to understand scripture when in fact we surely do. We do. And, and people get hung up on Revelation. Well, if you get hung up on Revelation, don't read, for God's sake, don't read Revelation. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read Colossians. Read something else. Don't go to the thing that you have a problem with. Go, go make it simple. There are four words, actually there are more than that, but there are four words that I wanna point out here that we're gonna talk about this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. And they were words that Jesus used in the first four Beatitudes here. And I wanna talk about those words. Poor, poor in spirit is not about being broke. The culture would tell you different. Poor is about being broke. It's not. Mourning is not about temporal loss. Meekness is not about weakness. Have you ever heard somebody tell you, be, oh, bro, you know, be meek, roll it back. Try to talk to a military guy or a military gal about being meek. It's not gonna happen. And hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst is not about religion. It's not. See, these, those, those definitions that I just read to you are what the culture says about the words that Jesus used in his first opening lines on the Sermon on the Mount. And culture has redefined these words to twist up even now, today, the meaning of what Jesus himself said, himself said about the kingdom. Now, words are important, and here's why. When you study scripture, there's some words that you use to describe elements, and one of those words is the word exegesis. You exegete, you study, you dive in, and you figure out what the words are used, how they were used, when they were used, who used the words, who's involved in the story, who are the characters in the story. Look, don't get all tossed up about that. Learn to read scripture here, here. We want to ask ourselves, who was, who was there? Who was on the, who was on the mount? Well, it, it, Jesus, the disciples in the crowd. Now, here's what's interesting. And this is the backdrop I want to look at this whole picture from. There are words in scripture that are, that are, consistent throughout. And one of those words is blessed. Blessed. Blessed means receiving God's unmeasurable favor. That, that, that it extends and continues to extend through our lives as we follow and obey Christ. So there's this idea of consistent, constant, ongoing, ever blessing. Blessed. You heard people talk about being blessed. Oh, I'm so blessed. You don't even know what blessed is, fool. You ever heard somebody, oh, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. When people say stuff like, <laughs> I always like to poke the bear. If you know me, you know I like to poke the bear. 
And when somebody says they're blessed, I want to always say, well, what does blessed mean? How are you blessed? They don't really know. They just think they're so blessed. Blessed means this, that the favor of God is on the person who does what God says. The favor of God extends throughout that person's life all the way until the end as long as he or she does what God is asking them to do. Here's what he's asking us to do. Now I want to tie blessed to a, to a verse at the end of Matthew. Matthew 25, 34 says this, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation or one translation says from the beginning of the world. In other words, there is a kingdom on this earth. There is a kingdom in heaven. It's all the same, but Jesus, Jesus is deciding who is going into heaven. Those who obeyed and those who did not. So there is a distinct tie to obeying what the Lord Jesus himself says so that there is a reward that is tied to that. There is a significant benefit that is tied to that. Now, I wanna tell you about the Jesus who's, who's conducting the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's, by the way, he was the initiator of the original Jesus revolution. He was the, the originator of the Jesus movement, Jesus. I wanna tell you about the Jesus on the Mount. The Jesus on the Mount was the Jesus who was in the beginning that existed with God before God. He is God, was God, and was with God. And Colossians 1, 17 says, and, and he, God, created all that exists, seen and unseen, through Jesus. And he, Jesus, holds all things together. That, that's the Jesus on the mount. And then it's the same Jesus that was born of a virgin, grew up, went into ministry, went into the temptation, chose his disciples, ended up on the Sermon on the Mount. And then he walked through life a few more years. He was crucified, buried, resurrected on the third day, rose, went into heaven, came back, showed himself to the disciples, and then he left, caught away in the clouds. That Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, that's the Jesus on the mount. Let me go a little further. That Jesus in heaven is soon to return. Now he will catch us away in the clouds, those of us who are ready, but he won't come back to earth. The word's called rapture, raptizo, pull him out. Catch him in the air, meet us in the air. But then when he comes back to start the tribulation period, he will land on earth again. So he's been here four or five times already. That's a Jesus on the mountain. That's a guy talking. So I want you to grab that idea. I want you to know that this Jesus talking is the same Jesus that's been around. He's not gone anywhere. He just showed up at different times in different places. That's the Jesus we're talking about. Now, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about what Jesus said here. He upset the kingdom of the world, the culture in that day. He upset that culture. And he said some things that upset the religious system and the culture and the, the, the political picture at that time because political 
uh, picture and religious picture and uh, uh, the whole, whole rhythm of the Jewish culture was all tied up in this, this idea, in this concept of Pharisaical law, Sadduceical law. And Jesus turned it upside down and he said this, Matthew chapter five, verse one, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble or meek, one translation says, for they will inherit the whole earth. And God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. One translation says righteousness. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. I wanna talk about that today because there's a significant progression that happens. And I wanna tell you about that progression with these four verses. Think, think of being in the crowd that day. Now the crowd came from some 200 miles in a diameter around where he was because Jesus had been preaching and the disciples had been preaching all around the country. And these people came some up to 200 miles away and they were on this mountain watching Jesus. I want you to imagine just for, I want you to imagine just for a minute being Jesus. Looking across, seeing your disciples here and then seeing the crowds, the huge crowds that were there. Now the scripture says that he, he saw the people. Now it just doesn't mean that like me, I'm up here, I see you. I look out, I see you. He saw, he saw in them and through them. He saw their spiritual need. He saw that they needed a shepherd and a savior. He saw that they needed deliverance from a culture who told them a lie about who he was. And then the scripture says he began to teach them. He began to tell them and transfer and impart kingdom information. He began to impart truth to them so that they could understand what he was saying, and they could understand what is not being said in the culture, in the religious picture there. So Jesus, he saw them and he taught them. And then he began to say, God, God blesses those who are poor in spirit. And that word poor doesn't mean I'm broke and I, ha I don't have any money. That word poor means that I am destitute, I am a beggar. I am as deeply destitute and lacking resources as anyone could be spiritually because I have nothing in me that could connect remotely to the Savior. I am without God. I, I am undone, poor in spirit. I'm undone. There's nothing I could do in a lifetime, in, in eternity's lifetime. There's nothing I could do to do anything that is worthy of approaching Jesus. There's nothing I could do. Poor in spirit, I, I need God. There's nothing I have. The next one is this, to mourn. 
Now, a good picture of this word mourn, you can see in Revelation chapter one, verse seven, where it says, and Jesus coming in the clouds was seen by kings and kingdoms and those who pierced him, and they mourned his coming. The picture here is they mourned his coming at that time because they, they saw, when they saw him, they saw they had no relationship with him. And they saw they needed a relationship with him, but they didn't have a relationship with him. That's why they mourned. That's why in the Beatitudes here, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Now, that word comforted comes from the word parakleos, which comes from the word paraclete, which is the same word we get the Holy Spirit from, the word Holy Spirit. So those who mourn about their lack of ability to have relationship with God, those people will be comforted by the Holy Spirit. Those people will be visited. Those people will have relationship. Their mourning will be turned to comfort because now there is a way for them to have relation. Do you see the progression? Do you see the progression? Do you see the progression? I don't need you to clap. I just want you to see the progression because if we're poor in spirit, if we're poor in spirit and we're mourning because we don't have a relationship with God, then Jesus said, blessed are those who are, one translation says gentle, the other says mild, but the, the best word is meek. You know why the best word's meek? Because our culture tells us, especially men. Now, now, I'm about to say some things here that will probably garner some email for me. Here's my email. Dallas at livechurchgb.com. I will answer you promptly. Send all the emails you want, Dallas. Now, meek. I want to say this to men. I didn't say this first service. I want to say it to men in this service. You know what? We got to quit being weak, sissy, guys, usurping our men authority over our kids and our wives. We got to be meek. We don't have to be, we don't have to be weak. Let me tell you what the word meek means. I've talked to a couple of my buddies who are special forces and they cannot wrap their mind around the word meek. They can't, they can't wrap their mind around the fact that meek is a, is a fruit of the spirit. You ever talk to a military guy about being, hey, remember, they don't have rollback in there. They don't have that gear. Meek means this. Meek, it means to properly temper and display the right blend of force and reserve. It avoids harshness yet without compromising or being too slow to use necessary force. Meek. Who was the meekest man in scripture? Jesus. Jesus. He fashioned a whip and went into the temple and ran out the money changers and he flipped tables and he wore those guys out and ran them out. But yet Paul says that Jesus, this Jesus 
emptied himself. The word is kenosis. He emptied himself of all godly prerogatives, came to earth as a human and died as a human so that we may have salvation with God. It pleased God for Jesus to do that. He was the meek one. When he was on the cross, he could have called legions of angels to come down and wipe everybody out and start over again, but he didn't because he was meek. He had the ability to usurp the authority, but he didn't because he usurped the authority that he was given only when God told him to, and in our case, only when the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, and through our gifting and call, he tells us, do this or do that. And, and I will just say, I'm not, I'm gonna go on. <laughs> A rabbit trail. You know what rabbit trails are good for? People with shotguns right there that just kill the rabbit before it takes off. Here's a Latin phrase, cogito ergo sum, which means if you know any Latin at all, I think therefore I am. Now here's the problem with our culture. Our culture has told us all, but definitely men. You know, you need to self-identify, and if you step over the bounds of what we think you ought to be, we're going to tell you what you need to do and who you need to be. So, so it's time for us to have a wake-up call, men, women, all of us, and wake up and realize that meekness is about strength, uh, uh, exercised at the right time. And I will tell you, there's a day coming where the meek, the, the promise here, the meek will inherit the earth. You know why the meek will inherit the earth? Because God can trust the meek to use their power when he needs them to use their power. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. You know why? Because God can trust them. Because they don't fly off the handle and don't get angry and crazy, the meek will inherit the earth. Why? Because God wants to possess the earth. He is in the business of doing that right now. The meek will inherit the earth. It's real good. I'm just saying. I talk to men all the time. And you know the thing that makes, I'm not going to go. You know, Look, look here, listen. Do you know if men would do their job in the kingdom, the church would explode? Did you know that if men loved their wives like Christ loved the church? That wives would love their husbands? And let me just give you this little bit of marriage advice. Just a little bit. Guys, whatever you give your wife, she'll take it, she'll multiply it, and she'll give it back to you. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about, I'm not, I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about, I'm talking about you treat her like you want to be treated and you want to see a church get on fire, let a guy treat his wife like she's supposed to be treated and speak in life into his kids. Let a, let a, let a guy, let a guy, let a guy get a little taste of being a strong man 
and ready to go to war and do battle, and you will see a man's value go up. You will see reasons, look, bro, you will see reasons for your lady to start respecting you because she sees a stud walking in the door every day. And she sees a guy that will take on hell for her and those kids. I I just, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I, and go ahead and start the pads because I'm way beyond my time. But I will just tell you that I'm telling you this, that, that if you want to see the church explode in growth, guys, stop being weak and being meek. Grow up, for God's sake, grow up. Last thing Jesus said on, on this up here, he said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. I want to ask you, what are you hungry for? What, you know, you know how you can tell what you're hungry for? What do you pursue the most? You wanna know what you pursue the most? Get your little phone out and look at screen time. I was with a pastor the other day for three days and I clocked over 12 hours of him being on his phone playing a video game. He was, he was distracted, he was wounded, tired, weary. When, when we seek the hunger, hungry and thirsty for God, his, you, know what his, you know what righteousness means? That I'm right with God by judicial edict that God has said, I am right with his son Jesus because I have, I have submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Now I'm hungry for Jesus. You, I, we will be satisfied if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, but if we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will always hunger and thirst for things in the world that will lead us away from God. How simple could that be? But it's truth and a lot of people don't live that way. That's the truth. If I hunger and thirst for righteousness, there are, there are things will happen in my life where I will wake up at night and be hungry for God to speak to me and say something, to touch my life. I wanna be just with God. I want when people look at me that they see the presence of God. And they're not gonna see that when I'm stuck watching movies all day or playing video games or out goofing off of my butt. They're not gonna see that. And I'm not beating up on guys. I just know this, that God has appointed men to lead the way in righteousness. And when we lead the way in righteousness, things happen in the kingdom. And don't let the culture tell you, don't, don't let the culture tell you anything else that, that you are a mighty warrior for God and that he's called you to do something particular. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is it you hunger for? What are you hungry for? Now, very simply, hungering for, for righteousness, thirsting for righteousness, is that I know without a doubt, all assurance, 100% sure, if I were to leave this spot today and go there, I know that I would go to heaven. That's righteousness. But it's also being right in this world, doing what God wants me to do, when he wants me to do it, with whom he wants me to do it with. What has he called you to do? hunger, poor in spirit, mourn, 
because I've lost my relationship with God. I need it. Meek. I'm full of God's power. I need to grasp that and use it when he tells me to. And I need to hunger for God like never before because I will promise you this. You hunger for God, he will meet your hunger. He will meet your thirst. And here's the thing about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You'll be satisfied momentarily, but you'll have a ravening hunger and a ravening thirst for more. Let's pray. You may, you may need to reignite your relationship with Jesus. That's one. Or two, you may need to start your relationship with Jesus. Very simply, if, if, that, if you are either one of those people, I, I need to reignite and, and launch out again, or I need to start fresh with Jesus, I want you to raise your hand, look at me, and I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, 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 thank you. Everybody pray thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Everybody pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I confess my sin and I profess my faith in you. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lead me in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you just restarted or you started brand new your relationship with Jesus. Talk to us. Fill out a card. Get on the reading plane. Start reading the, for, read the Bible. <laughs> read, just read it. You can read it on your phone. For those of you who, who, who are, are, are they, you, need a, you need a resurgence of power to live out the beatitude. You need to, especially those first four, you need to, you need to be empowered again and to, to have a new surge of energy to, to push you toward that and to do it with all your might and all you've got. I don't want you to bow your heads. If you need to, to be urged on and resurge again and you need God's power to do that, I want you to raise your hand and say, I need it. I need to gear up again. I need to push hard. I need to be meek. I need to mourn. I need to, oh. Now look around at the people. One thing you need to understand, we're not in this alone. We're to, look, we're on, the ride, we're on this ride together. Let me pray with you. Father, I pray for my friends. They raise their hand, fill them with the Holy Spirit and, and fire. Lord, give them direction. Speak peace to them in their sleep. Wake them up with dreams. Lord, encourage them, empower them, and help them know and understand their call. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us. If you wanna dive even deeper into your faith, check out our other podcasts and small groups. You can find more information at lifechurchgreenbay.com. We can't wait to see you next week.